0: So good to see you here at the first teaching service of 2013. Uh, how many of you were in any of our earlier services—the nine o'clock or the eleven o'clock service? Uh, wasn't that a wonderful time with Daniel Colende, and um, when we had a wonderful baptism service at the two thirty? And of course, we're looking forward to tonight when Nathan Morris is going to come and minister to us. It's good to see you here at the teaching service because. In 2013, we need to make an extra commitment to be in the Word of God. Because let me tell you something, the time is coming when those that aren't grounded in the Word won't stand. I mean, you won't be able to get away with just a little sermon here or a little sermon there or a Sunday attendance, because the devil knows that the only person that's going to stand in these end times is the one that knows the Word and that is known by the Word of God. So, believe with me that these teaching services in the 2013, as we go through different topics, will grow and grow so that we can help build God an army that's founded on the Word and empowered by the Spirit. Many of you regulars know that um, I was saying that at the end of 2012 that we were going to start this new year with a series on the end times, end time truths, I've called it, as you can see behind us, because it's very important that we understand the end times. Now, I'm not claiming to know everything about the end times, but my goal and desire is that during this teaching series, which will probably take about two months or so, is that I can at least give you a skeleton upon which you can put clothes on as you go forward about the end times. Because so many people hear bits and bobs about the end times, a little bit here, a little bone there, but they don't manage to step back and say, well, wait a second, what's it all about? So during this time, the end times, we call the study eschatology, the study of the end times. We're going to be looking at many different topics today. I'm going to be starting with the fact that, did you know that Jesus is coming soon? He's coming sooner than that. Seriously. Seriously. He's coming sooner than that. And then we're going to look at other things. We're going, we're going to look at the different positions in eschatology, premillennialism, post and amillennialism. We're going to be looking at the rapture. We're going to be looking at the one world government and what the Bible says about that. Looking at the Antichrist. Looking at the place of Israel in God's end time revival. We're going to be looking at all these types of things. So by the end of this, if you come to the five o'clock, and welcome to those of you that are on the webcast. I know a lot of you watch on the web either during the five o'clock service or you come back to it later on in the week, that by the end of this series, you will really have a good grounding and understanding of the end times truths and why they're important so that you can enjoy your further studies in this important topic. Well, As I said, today, we're going to be starting with the topic of the soon-coming King, Luke chapter 21 and verse 27, Jesus speaking. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. I remember when I first came to Kensington Temple in 1990, the October of 1990, to come to the uh, Bible school. I'd just completed three years theological training at Durham University. But I knew nothing about the end times. I'd got born again at university while studying theology. And uh, although I learned a lot and very grateful to the teaching I received, end times wasn't on the curriculum because most of the lecturers didn't even believe in the end times or that Jesus was returning. And I've been brought up in an Anglican church, so when I came to Kensington Temple, uh, these end times truths started hitting me, and I got very confused because I'd never studied it. I'd heard about the Antichrist. I heard that Russia would invade Israel, and I couldn't understand where that had come from the Bible. I heard this view that when Jesus returned, we'd rule and reign with him a thousand years on the earth, and I thought, that sounds strange. So for me, even though I'd done a theological education, when I came to KT and began to hear charismatic and Pentecostal teaching from guest visitors talking about these things in Israel, I was actually quite confused because a lot of the preachers and the TV evangelists would talk about things, but they would never back it up with scriptures, even if there were scriptures to back it up. They'd make statements like Russia would invade Israel and then leave it like that, like everybody knew that that was going to happen. They talk about life on earth when Jesus came to rule and reign a thousand years, and I'm thinking, what? what is this going on? Then they'd start talking about the fact that a rapture was going to take place, and some of us that were holy were going to go, and some of us weren't. And if you were found in a cinema or at the time, you definitely weren't going. And then, of course, Kensington Temple buys a cinema. And so I was confused, and it took me a while to make a study so that I could actually get some sort of basic understanding of the end time, so I could understand where these preachers were coming from. I don't want you to be confused. And I think that during this teaching there will be something for everybody those that have studied the end times in depth but also if you're coming to this and you're saying well I, I'm here I don't know hardly anything about these things well I hope by the end of this series you will have an understanding that can lead to uh, to a greater depth of knowledge that God is coming. And while I was studying the end times for the first time while at Bible school here at Kensington Temple way back in 1990s. And I was reading all these things about what would happen in the end times, and I was studying the book of Revelation. And, you know, it seemed so far away, so distant, so strange, so different to the daily life that I I was living. You know, what would it be like when Jesus returns? What would it be like when the Antichrist is doing his thing? It seemed so distant and far away. And to many Christians, when we talk about the end times, it doesn't mean much to them because they live their life and go on with their life day by day, week by week, and these things seem almost fictional. Now, they're not fictional, but we live life often as if these end times truths are fictional. After all, we've been waiting for Jesus to return for 2,000 years. Are we really expecting him soon? And many people aren't expecting him soon. They're thinking, well, 2,000 years, if that's soon, Then we've probably got another thousand years. Anyway, I've got far too much life to live. I've heard people say, I don't want Jesus to return yet. I'm not married. I I don't want Jesus to return yet until I get my promotion. I've just booked a holiday in Ventura or wherever it was, William. William Lee with us, the evangelist, is back, so let's welcome him. I don't want Jesus to come back before I get my suntan, William. And, and so people are like, look, I've got things to do, life to live. I'm not really that interested. What's it going to be like when these things happen? Well, I was driving home one day in, in my car. And God did something that showed me that in the end times, how quickly things will change. And I was driving along in my car. It was, it was during the time, this was later on, uh, Katie. Do you remember the flash floods we had that year? Well, I was driving home from work on the a 40 And I was thinking about the end times and saying, Lord, what's it going to be like? It just seems so distant. I want want to, you know, the early church had such a strong feel of the end times, but it seems, just seems millions of years away to me, and how can we live in the light of the way it's going to be? And I was thinking about this, and driving in my car, as I drove in my car every day back home, expecting to eat my meal, to do everything I'd done day by day, week by week, then suddenly... Out of nowhere, it seemed, it began to rain. And it didn't just begin to rain. Do you remember those flash floods? It began to... I, I, I couldn't believe... I was on the A40, and we all stopped our cars because our windscreen wipers were of no value. We couldn't see what was happening. And I'm sitting in my car, and I'm hearing the sound of the rain, and I'm looking out, and I'm thinking, the environment has totally and utterly changed within a moment. One moment, I'm driving along, living my life as I've done day by day, week by week, month by month, then all of a sudden, in a twinkling of an eye, everything changes. That's what it's going to be like with the coming of the Son of Man. Martin Luther said this, and I think it's good advice. He said, I live as though Jesus Christ died yesterday, rose again today, and were coming again tomorrow. Can you imagine that type of mentality? I live as though Jesus died yesterday, rose again today, and was coming back tomorrow. Martin Luther said that. And when we read the New Testament, we find that the New Testament had a strong anointing upon them to believe that Jesus was returning very, very soon. They had an understanding of the soon-coming king. They had an understanding of the end times. The end times wasn't just some interesting doctrine that you can watch on Christian TV, but the end times was part of their daily bread, their daily life. And the doctrine of the end times, especially the return of Jesus, affected their daily decisions, affected how they lived their lives. The fact that Jesus was coming soon affected the decisions that they made, the giving that they did. It changed their whole lives. In the New Testament alone, there are 318 references to Jesus' return. And uh, the earth, sorry, there are. there are two, there are 318 references to Christ's return in the Bible and 200 and, uh, uh, 318. I've got to write this better. 318 references to Christ's return in the New Testament. Um, the early church believed that the coming of the Lord was probably in their lifetime. Now, if we look at the literature, if we look at what Paul wrote and Peter wrote and James wrote and John wrote, I want you not to listen to it like, oh well, that was 2,000 years ago. I want you to think, what makes a man write or say these things? Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Romans 13, 11. Paul speaking. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Everybody say sleep. I'm going to come back to that. It's an important message of the New Testament. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Can you see there? Paul saying, hey, do you know what? Time is ticking. Jesus is coming soon. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Because time is short, let's cast off the works of darkness. Let's stop playing with sin and the world, and let's put on the armor of light because Jesus is coming soon. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7, says this, the end of all things is at hand. James chapter 5 verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Can you see how in speaking this, James had this strong feeling and awareness and in his teaching that any moment, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the last hour. The judge is standing at the door. John, the apostle in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it is the last hour. We know that it is the last hour. In John chapter 21 in the gospel the new testament church had such a strong feeling that Jesus was returning that many of them actually believed that John the apostle the beloved disciple of John's gospel they actually believed that Jesus that he would not die until Jesus returned and in John chapter 21 verse 22 John writing the gospel he, he has to correct this view in the church that Jesus will return before the apostle John dies. It's so prevalent. People actually believe it. And so he says, John chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus said to him, If I will that he, John, remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him, That he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? We also find that Paul had to speak to the Thessalonians because they were so excited that Jesus was going to return soon that they were actually getting a little bit excessive in their views. And Paul had to say, wait a second, he is coming soon, but there's some things that need to happen first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, 2 Thessalonians two two. Paul speaking, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or by letter, as if from us, though the day of Christ had come. In 2 Thessalonians 3.11, Uh, Paul says, look, don't give up work. Keep working and you won't eat. And many scholars believe that he's saying that because people are saying, hey, there's no point working, no point going to university, no point having a career. What's the point? Jesus is coming soon. Now, Paul corrected the Thessalonians to say that there was some things that still had to take place, and we will look at those things that still have to take place in the course of these Sundays. But If these Thessalonians were so excitable about Jesus' return that Paul had to bring them back a little bit, doesn't that say something about Paul? Because where did the Thessalonians get their teaching about the end times from in the first place? Who taught them? Paul. In many churches, you've got no problems or worries at all about your people giving up their day job because Jesus is coming soon. You don't have to worry about your people being concerned that the Lord's day is already here and it's already finished. You don't have to worry about that. It's the reverse, as we will see. Most of God's people are in a slumber. They have no idea about Jesus's soon coming return. Like I said, 2,000 years and time is still ticking. They're not concerned about Jesus' return. They don't wake up in the morning thinking about it. They don't pray the prayer, Maranatha, even so, Lord, come. They're not changing their lives in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. It, It really is a forgotten truth. And a forgotten truth is always because there's a slumber in the church. But we see here, Paul, James, and Peter, that they all had this strong feeling and opinion by the Spirit, get ready. We don't know the day or the hour, but we must be ready. Now, where did the early church get this strong fervency and desire as one of their main truths that Jesus was not just coming, but that he was coming soon? Well, they got it from Jesus himself. Jesus tells us to get ready. Imagine being seated in in amongst some of the vast crowds and hearing Jesus proclaim this to you for the first time. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom when the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself. And have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them, so blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect let me tell you something. The church does not expect Jesus to return soon. Not the Western church. It does not expect. And I tell you, if Jesus is saying those words 2,000 years ago, how much more should we realize that the end is soon? This call for readiness, this call for expectation. That Jesus gives. Mark chapter 13, verse 33. Again, the words of Jesus. Mark 13, 33. Take heed and watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you asleep. Everybody say, asleep. Lest coming suddenly he find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Matthew 24, verse 45. Uh, uh, Sorry, in this parable, though I just read to you, Matthew, Mark 13, the master leaves but two things are set in order before his departure. He gives authority to his servants to carry on the business. What is the business? To make disciples and preach the gospel. So he calls us to continue the work of the gospel, but he also commands the doorkeeper to keep watch. The church, the early church, had two main thrusts in their ministry, to preach the gospel and to watch for Christ's return. Many other parables talk about this. Jesus constantly saying, watch and pray. I mean, here's one, in, and I'll come back to this in Matthew chapter 25, about the ten virgins. And we could go again and again to others. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven should be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish, Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. But while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Everybody say slumbered and slept. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all these virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. I could read that, continue, but I just wanted you to get the picture there of preparing for Jesus to come. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, three times in the last chapter, chapter 22, we hear the words of Jesus, Behold, I am coming quickly or soon, yeah. Behold, I am coming soon. Three times in the last chapter. Not behold, I'm coming. I want to make this really clear today. Not behold, I'm coming, but behold, I'm coming soon. Three times. And the third time says, surely I am coming soon. And then the response to John right at the end of the book of Revelation, the last verses, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the soon-coming King. This echoes 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, where we find a greeting that Paul uses, Maranatha. Maranatha, you ever heard that word, Maranatha? It's there, 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty-two, And Maranatha is Aramaic for come, Lord. And scholars tell us that Maranatha was a common greeting a common way of saying let's just say, you know, we know the word shalom, don't we, because the Jewish people use that a lot. Yeah, shalom, shalom. Well, the early Christian church would go, maranatha, maranatha. So their very greeting carried this expectation of Jesus' coming. Whenever there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, whenever there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, or what we might call a revival, there is an inque- increased expectancy in the church for the return of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. And whenever he moves strongly, God's people begin to awaken from their slumber and begin to desire the return of Jesus and begin to have a Holy Ghost-inspired expectation of Jesus' return that begins to change their lives. I mean, the first message preached by the newborn church in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost was about souls and about the end times. That was the twofold message. For these are not as drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. We normally end there, don't we? But. Peter didn't end his first sermon there. He continued, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." So, the founding message of the church, you see, the church is based on that founding message, the day of Pentecost. If you want to know if your church is moving in apostolic authority, how close is it to the message that it was birthed in? Is there the prophetic outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Are people calling on the name of the Lord to be saved? And this missing link, is there an awareness? and an excitement, and a belief of the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. See, the gift of the Spirit is here to give us a foretaste of the glorious future that we will experience at the second coming of Jesus. Those of you that were with us, and you can still see the series on the KT uh, Media site when you go to the series link know that when we looked at what happened to us after you die that we spent some time talking about this about what would happen when Jesus returned and one of the things that happens is the dead will rise but we will be caught up with with those the dead in Christ and we will be what glorified transformed and the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that that's going to happen the Holy Spirit comes and brings us samples of what's to come, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, or a down payment. That's 2 Corinthians 1:12. a guarantee. It's like when you put a down payment on something that you want, and you say, "Oh, I would like to have that." item. Will you save it for me? or you'll have to put a down payment of £100 on something like that. When I recently got my car, um, I saw the car and I knew it was the one I wanted, but I had to get my finances sorted out. And I said, will you keep that for me? And I said, well, you have to leave a deposit. If you leave a deposit, then you can be assured that that car will be waiting for you when you come and finish the balance. So I gave a deposit. They kept my deposit of however much what hundreds of pounds it was, and I went away to get the balance knowing that that car would remain on deposit until I brought the full installment. Well, that's what the Bible is saying the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes and brings us the deposit or guarantee that all these things are going to happen that we're going to be glorified, that we're going to be raised from the dead if we die, that Jesus is returning soon. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of promise. If you study the history of revivals, and there's many studies out there that you can read I've got a book available for three pounds. We're selling that on discount called Land of Hope and Glory, British Revivals Through the Ages. We go right back to the beginning of the evangelizing of Great Britain, and we look at snapshots of different revivals through the ages. And one of the things that we notice when we look at these revivals is that wherever there is a revival, there is an increased awareness of Jesus coming soon. Um, Anybody ever heard of John and Charles Wesley and the Great Methodist Revival? Well, Charles Wesley was a great hymn writer, and Charles Wesley wrote around 7,000 hymns during his life. 5,000 of them have references to Christ's return. That's because most of those hymns were written during revival. And of course, when we think about our own heritage, we are a Pentecostal church here, a Elam Pentecostal church. The Pentecostals, over a hundred years ago or so, when they burst onto the scene through the rediscovery of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, had a very, very strong expectation of Jesus' return. They said, we better get out and we better evangelize the whole world because Jesus is coming soon. And we hear about a movement called the Latter Rain Movement, and the Latter Rain Movement was a powerful Holy Spirit movement. It's still going today. That believed that we were in the end times, that God was pouring out His Spirit, and that Jesus was coming soon. And The Latter Rain Movement was based on such scriptures as Joel chapter two and verse twenty-three, Joel two twenty-three. Be glad then, you children of Zion. And rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. So here we have the former rain and the latter rain. When we talk about the Jewish harvest, there is a former rain and a latter rain. And the first rain would come and ripen the harvest, but the latter rain would bring in the full harvest. When you look at the feasts of Israel, um, there, were th- there were three main periods of the feasts of Israel. There is the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, in the spring feast, then, 50 days later, Pentecost, and then we have the autumn feasts, don't we, of uh, the Day of Atonement. And um, the feast of weeks or tabernacles, and the feast of tabernacles is a harvest festival, celebrating the fruitful harvest, the 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 uh, the grapes and the fruit. That's that's there. But the spring harvest and Pentecost celebrates the oat and wheat harvest. So there's two harvests there, and the latter rain said, you know, Pentecost that was the former rain. When God poured out His rain of His Spirit right there at the beginning of church history. But now they're saying that God is going to pour out the latter rain. And God is going to pour out His rain, not just like He did at the beginning on the day of Pentecost, but this rain is going to bring in the full harvest of souls that will bring Jesus' return. The latter rain. And I tell you what. If you look at what's happened on a global scene in the last hundred years, it is absolutely astonishing. The anointing and the power of God that has fallen over this earth. If you look at nations like Brazil that 50 years ago there's hardly any Christians there. Now they're in full-time revival. You think of places like China. You think of places in Africa and Asia. Let's understand that backslidden Europe's day is going to come back soon. If, and I'll come back to this, if we do not slumber. But God, the miracles, the the salvations um, that that are are taking place, Pentecostals, charismatics, believers in the power of God are increasing by 19 million people each year. 54,000 new born again, tongue speaking people a day. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. This is the time of the latter rain. And a great end time revival will herald in Jesus. We'll see later when we talk about Israel that, you know what? As the harvest grows, the final harvest is going to be Israel itself. God's going to bring the firstborn home. Hallelujah. And Romans tells us that all Israel will be saved, and Jesus is going to return. Yes, the darkness, as Derek Prince said this, the darkness is going to get darker, but the light is going to get brighter. Also, the Pentecostals preached a gospel in those early years of the 1900s, and they had a very simple and powerful gospel. It was called the Four Square Gospel. Now Kensington Temple as I've already mentioned is part of the Elim Pentecostal Church. But the full name of the Elim Pentecostal Church is, is the Elim Pentecostal Four Square Gospel Alliance. Four Square, well if you're new to Christ or to Pentecost you might think that's a weird name, Four Square. Well, Four square speaks about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, but it's used by Pentecostals to talk about the fourfold gospel. How many of you ever heard about full gospel people or full gospel churches? Full gospel is talking about fourfold or four square gospel. And these were the four points that the Pentecostals Preached, unfortunately, many are not doing it today, but these are the four points that, Pen- that, that the Pentecostal preached to bring revival all the way around the world, the fourfold gospel, all centered on Jesus. Has anybody ever heard of this before? And up here in Kensington Temple, you see up where that, um, that television screen is, way up to the left, and that television screen way up to the right, you see those? Well, in early, early days, up on those that that ark just there and there was printed the four square gospel so that everybody could see it, and this is what it is: Jesus the Savior, Jesus the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Jesus the healer, and Jesus the soon coming. King, four points: Jesus the Saviour, Jesus the Healer, Jesus the Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the soon coming King. Before this session, if I'd come to you and I, if I'd said, "Right, we need four points that we need to preach the gospel." I want, f- I want to know what our fourfold message is. We'll preach many other things, but what are the four things that we at Kensington Temple are going to be known for preaching? Well, I'm sure many of you would say Jesus the Saviour. I'm pretty sure with our revival meetings that we have on Sunday nights and with William Lee, who only a few years ago was with us for two years, night after night, we saw 5,000 people come to the Lord. We brought people sick onto the platform, sick, and healed them on the platform. They came off on limping and walked off free. How many of you witnessed some of those instant miracles? So I think anybody that knows us and been with us would say, well, Jesus the Savior, yes, Jesus the healer. How many of you would put Jesus the baptizer of the Holy Spirit? I've noticed that many charismatics and Pentecostals don't speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues very much. It's quietened down. It's like any experience that you have validates you. It's like, well, if you have a tingle, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you have goof gumps, that bumps. That'll do you baptize. If you have a warm feeling in your stomach, you're baptizing the Holy Spirit. Well, I get a warm feeling in my stomach when I go to the curry house. But full gospel preaching, you shall be baptized with power from on high, and you shall speak with other tongues. Hallelujah. That's that's full gospel. But who on earth amongst us, if we're honest, would ever think about preaching and saying one of those four points must be, not that Jesus is coming, but that Jesus is coming You'd have seen up there Jesus, not the coming king. We all know he's going to come. That's the problem. But we don't, we don't have this anticipation. You'd have seen Jesus the soon coming king. I think the modern day, I don't, I don't mean to be too critical, but why not? I think the modern day charismatic church, if they were asked to have a fourfold emphasis, would have Jesus the Savior, Jesus the community worker, Jesus the PR officer, And Jesus, the event manager. We need to go back to that which our fathers gave us. That wasn't our fathers, but was given to them by the Holy Spirit. That was born in the first Pentecost. That's what we need. We need to get back to preaching. The soon coming king, but with an anointing. With an anointing. So this missionary fervor came out of this. And... uh, The message of the soon-coming king also gives hope to the persecuted. Maybe there's not enough persecution in the Western church for people to even be bothered about Jesus coming back. Everybody say the word slumber. When you're in a slumber, when you're in a sleep, you're living in a dream world. But when Paul spoke to the Thessalonians... One of the main comforts that he gave to them was that you're going through a difficult time. You're going through persecution. It looks like the devil is on his throne. But don't worry, because Jesus is coming soon. I mean, look how he starts, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thessalonians were under great pressure, oppression, and persecution. And this is what Paul says. I'm going to read a good measure of this, 2 Thessalonians 1. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it's fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of each one of you abounds towards each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience, endurance, and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which also you suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ." These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. It's powerful words. Jesus is going to come and sort it all out. And thank God he sends his Holy Spirit and his angels and he anoints us and fills us with his his Holy Spirit to do the work of God. But you know, bad things happen to good Christians. Some things things happen we don't understand why. But God is coming and when he comes, he's going to wipe away every tear from the believer's eye. And not only that, he's going to punish the wicked. He's going to hold court and judge the nations. Oh, you know we believe in grace in this church. I've just written a book called No More Law. But let me tell you something, God is not mocked. And if you look at if you look at, at um, Romans chapter one, and verse seventeen, I just want to make this slight altering plan, then come back. If you look at Romans chapter one, and verse seven, verse sixteen, it says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek." And listen. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So in other words, the gospel will save all who believe. But it doesn't stop there. But many preachers today stop there. They have a positive message. But they don't understand the positive message is set against a negative situation. And so we thank God for the gospel. But listen, the first part... Is The gospel is the revelation of salvation and the righteousness of God for all who believe. But verse 18 follows hard on and says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. The gospel affirms the righteousness of God, salvation for all that believe. But the gospel also affirms Jesus is coming soon. And you'd better be on the right side of the line, my friend because there 's going to be sheep, and there 's going to be goats, people preach today as if everybody 's going to be a sheep it 's a lie of the enemy. so hope for the persecuted, the outpouring of the of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to prepare for his return now. This has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. There's times when I've preached and taught on the soon-coming king where I've gone away, and at the time I didn't understand it, but I thought to myself, do you know what? I taught on it. We all said amen, but I don't think I moved the Bible students, and I don't think I've been moved. I've been talking about what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is coming soon, but do I feel like he's coming soon? Do the students feel like... And many times, I admit, I, I've gone away feeling that I've failed, not only to communicate New Testament truth, but also to experience New Testament truth myself, if I'm honest. It's only over Christmas that God, I believe, has been working in my life for this series to begin to address some things inside me that would allow change to take place, because when you believe that Jesus is coming soon, you change. I mean, you can say, I believe he's coming soon, but you change. I mean, let me put it like this. I'm making this up. It's an illustration. It's not Bible truth. It's an illustration. But come with me in your imagination because it illustrates a truth. Can you imagine if we knew for sure? Now, we don't. The Bible says, let me just make it plain, then I can do the illustration and the the Bible makes it plain that no man knows the hour when Jesus is coming, okay? Nobody but the Father. No man. I don't know it. You don't know it. Nobody comes. So people last year tried to prophesy it, didn't they? Unfortunately, when false prophets prophesy the day of Christ's return, it doesn't come. Do you know what it does? It increases the slumber of the church and the world. We just go, you see? There you go. It's nowhere near coming back. So every time a false prophet Prophesize falsely the end of the world or the coming of Christ. It's the devil's tool to make us even more sleepy to this truth. But having said that, come with me in this illustration. Imagine if we knew, what's the date today? 6th of January. Imagine if we knew for sure that the 6th of January, 2014, was the day that Jesus is returning. Just come with me. Imagine and there's no doubt in our minds, okay? We're not some of these weird. We know that Jesus is coming back a year from today. Just come with your imagination. Would you change what you do in the coming year? Oh, yeah. You've got a year, and he's coming back. You would make, so if you, and now, I'm not saying you pretend to believe. We know. We know as we know as we know. There's no doubt he's coming back in a year's time. We would make incredible life-changing decisions. True. All right, come with me a bit further. Can you imagine if we knew as we knew it was no lie, it was fact, that in one month's time, four weeks from today, there is no doubt that Jesus was returning soon. you got four days, four weeks. What would you do? Where would you fly? Who would you call? What would you say? How radical would you become? you got four weeks. What if I said, and we knew it was true, that we had 24 hours. You wouldn't be hanging around here, would you? <laughs> got some business to do, some souls to save. Just imagine in 24 hours. Can you imagine if it was true and we, and we really believed it? Can you imagine how releasing that would be? How the fear of man would instantly be broken off our lives? And the crazy, radical, spirit-filled actions, the boldness that we would do. We've only got 24 hours. We can't. You see, the problem is, friends, and I'm experiencing it too, although there's a change going on in my life. Hallelujah. There is a big change going on in my life. Last night, I got woken up. God was speaking to me. It wasn't audible, but it wasn't also through my mind or my spirit. It shocked me to the core. God is on the move. Now, The thing is that the Holy Spirit wants to stir us and prepare us so that we are ready for his coming. And much of the preaching of Jesus coming soon, it was like this. Jesus is coming soon. Stop messing around. Jesus is coming soon. Forsake his sin. Jesus is coming soon. Wake up. Jesus is coming soon. Don't put it off. Do what the Lord has commanded you to do. There is an urgency and a holiness that comes forth with this truth when it's preached under an anointing and received with faith. Titus 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Jesus. So in other words he says look turn from your sins live for God. And this isn't so much about turning from sins as turning to righteousness. You know repentance is not spending your whole time looking at everything that's going wrong. It's turning from everything that's going wrong in your life and looking at Jesus. Repentance is is uh, repentance is nothing more than the renewal of the mind. That's what it is. It's renewing your mind. It's not wallowing in sin. It's turning from it and walking towards Jesus. And here, in Titus, it says, look, this is how you do it. It says, deny ungodliness, worldly lust. How do I do that? Live soberly. How am I going to do that? Live righteously. How am I going to do that? By repenting with a sin list, again and again and again, coming to the altar and repenting for last week's sin? No, he says, I'll tell you how you do it. Look for Christ's return. And his glorious appearing of God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of Christ. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it Until the day of Jesus Christ. All of these things link holiness and exhorting holiness with the coming of Jesus. Now I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 25, where we we read that word 25, verse 5, about the the virgins. And it says, But while the bridegroom, in verse 5, delayed, they all slumbered and slept. I've read a few passages with you, and I got you to repeat the word slumber, didn't I? Or sleep. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to come back to, keep your finger in Matthew 25, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians speaks about the rapture. We'll be looking at that in this series when that takes place, who will be raptured and everything like that. So that talks about the rapture um, in chapter 4. But in chapter 5, it begins to talk about how we should be ready for the coming of the Lord. It says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves perfectly know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. You now, many Christians say, Oh, well, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Yes, but not to those that are awake. Verse 3, For when they say, Peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as the thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep. Therefore let us not sleep at night and those who get drunk or drunk at night, but let all of us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith. You see, he's talking about those that are awake to this truth. Verse 5 of Matthew 25 says, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. You know, I was encouraged, Um, R.T. Kendall in his, uh, like, New Year sort of update to his ministry about how things are going. He spoke about this passage, which really resonated in what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life at the moment. And he spoke about this verse, about the midnight cry in verse 6. The midnight cry. And to be honest with you, I didn't really understand what the midnight cry was. And Colin, our senior minister, told me a little bit about the midnight cry, And especially in the mid-1800s in America, the Midnight Cry was this awakening in the church and expectation of Jesus coming soon. You see, the picture that's here and that R.T. gave is this, is that the church is in a great sleep. It's in the slumber of verse 5. The bridegroom is delayed and they all slumbered and slept. I think 99.9% of Western Christians are slumbering and sleeping. And then the midnight cry came just before the return of the bridegroom. And a shout, behold, the bridegroom is coming imminently. Go out to meet him. And the church is awakened I don't know if any of you have ever watched that film, The Matrix. If you haven't watched that film, The Matrix, Matrix 1, I encourage you to watch it because it is uh, directed by a Christian. Uh, The main character calls Neo. There's a trinity in there. It's Christian themes. And the basic story is this. It's very powerful. Is that there's a world and people are living and eating and drinking and going through life but what they don't know is it's a dream world. They're actually in a big computer system with something stuck in their back. And what's happening in is they're living in an imaginary world. And what happens is the main character, Neo, that means new, he is suddenly delivered from the illusion and he sees what life is really like. You see, when you sleep, you're still doing things, aren't you? When you sleep, you're walking, you're talking, you're living, you're slumbering, you're still acting. And so the picture of this film, The Matrix, is that all these people were living a dream life and didn't realize it, and then one of them got woken up to the reality. You know, what does it mean to be in a slumber? Well, Jesus said, you know, the days of the Son of Man, when he comes, they'll still be marrying. Still be eating, still be drinking, still be acting as normal. They'll be totally asleep to the signs of the time. But God is looking to awaken us. Have you ever been awakened by somebody and you're like, you're very disorientated? The awakening that's coming to the church for those that are willing to hear the cry, God is going to renew our minds. God is going to bring to us the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And it won't just be somebody saying it and us just amening it. The word will come by the Spirit. The Spirit will speak, us, speak it into our hearts. And we will hear the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And we will be ready. You say, well, what about the past generations who thought Jesus was coming soon and he didn't? Well, the Holy Spirit was preparing them for the coming of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, they did more in their expectation of Jesus' return than any Christian generation that doesn't expect him to return. God is wanting to awaken us from the slumbering spirit of the world where we just think that we're going to live, go on and on and on and everything's okay. And we just get so in a dream world and we just live like the world and just go through the motions. God is sending out a mid. Night cry, God is going to awaken you, as if from a deep sleep. You say, "I'm not in a deep sleep." It's proof positive that you are. The Lord spoke to me and said, "I'm an awake. I'm awakening you, Bruce. I'm awakening you." And as He's begun this awakening of a midnight cry in my heart, as I as I begin to awake from a slumber. Some of the things I'm seeing in the Word of God and I'm seeing in the world, I don't like. When when Neo wakes up to the reality in that film Matrix, do you know what? The dream was so much simpler. The sleep, the slumber was so much easier. In fact, one of the characters... Who, who wakes up to reality, he wants to be put back to sleep. And as God awakens us and shows us things of the present, things of the future, as he opens our spiritual eyes and we start living in a dream world of fantasy Christian living, and get off the treadmill and cycle of non-revival, non-evangelistic, non-disciple-making, joke christianity and we begin to see the plight of the lost when you see the plight of the lost it's frightening it's disturbing i thought to myself Do you know what lord you gave me a glimpse of a people last year you gave me a glimpse of a people sitting in great darkness i almost wish i hadn't seen that i almost am tempted to say lord would you put me back to sleep just put me back, I didn't, I said I almost, put me back to sleep where it's comfortable. Let me just do what I can do. And, but when God opens your eyes to the reality, eternal realities, the spiritual realm, when he opens our eyes to our responsibility, when he opens the eyes that Jesus is coming soon, and even if he doesn't come in your lifetime, your lifetime is but a mist. Blink, blink, and it'll be over for you. You know, when when you're older in your last days, people always say when they're very old, they said, you know what, I can't believe I'm old already. <laughs> My father-in-law, who's in his 90s, said, you know what, Bruce, on the inside, I still feel like I'm 16. That's because time moves. It's what we do with time. Jesus is coming soon. I want to end today on a positive note. I've got um, something Uh, It's called actually, the the song is called The Midnight Cry and um, you can find it on YouTube if you just Google The Midnight Cry and it's just a beautiful song about our hope of the return of Jesus and next week we'll be going further into the end times truths after this introduction of Jesus coming soon. So if we can um, just play that now and uh, just sit back, listen to the words and know that Don't worry, he is coming very soon. What a powerful time we've had together and uh, join us next week as Pastor Bruce continues this teaching on. Please stay if you can for our seven o'clock service. We've got Daniel Colender speaking, a powerful message for our, our revival meeting. No. Ready? All together, all at once. Nathan Morris. Nathan Morris, indeed. I want more of Daniel Colender. I thought he was amazing. Um, Nathan Morris, seven o'clock service, so it's going to be a brilliant time. On Saturday... On Saturday, we are going to have a time of studying on the theme of fasting. And at the Saturday service, we're going to do a corporate fast for two weeks starting on Saturday. So join us for that if you would like to grow and learn about that. God bless you. See you for the next service.